I think with any uh, new frontier, so to speak, it's always important to ground it in reality and uh, ground it in failure and kind of the... So I'll be the bearer of bad news and hopefully come out with some good solutions as we continue to push forward uh, down this new, the new frontier, this new path. Uh, let's see. So what I want to high-level speak about is how do we get from geekdom, this room, to mainstream the people you see on the streets? Otherwise, there's a good chance you're going to miss out on a commercial success. Um, I think uh, admitting failure is a, a very important thing, and uh, a big problem is I, I've seen firsthand so many great ideas and great concepts, at least in my opinion, fail over and over again. And stepping back, I, I think there's a, it's one of two things. It's either a significant gap between uh, either us overestimating the value of what we're building or us fundamentally failing at conveying why this matters to anyone else other than that who spent the time building it. Uh, so I'd like to talk some time about ways that we can work around and kind of beat that out. And I think what's important to remember as we continue to build is the fundamental of design, which is building something to solve a problem. If we're missing that, it's either art or useless. So. Let's take a step back as to what's causing this incredible rush of innovation and incredible things being built, and it's our toolbox. Right now, I no longer have to work or reinvent a way to get a user's GPS location, their friend list. With products like Convey or Parse, which are Boston-based companies in, in Palo Alto, they can build a back-end overnight. I don't have to think. I can just deploy. So this toolbox is allowing us to go really, really, really fast, and that's not necessarily good. And it hasn't stopped. As we've seen, it's now moved into hardware. So what used to take a couple months to get a prototype up, I can hack away on the weekend. So that's all well and good until you recognize, again, we're building for users. We're building to make a product. And no user cares what's inside. What they care about is how does it solve my problem? And this brings me to the next misstep I think a lot of products take is a lack of recognizing empathy. Empathy in... Why does my user use this product? What do they care about? What are problems that they see every day in their life? And us, with the skill set we have, how can we change that? How can we change how they interact with the world around them for the better? Not just because we think it's cool. And two of my favorite examples of this are a company called Uber and a company called Square. Both of these took the most fundamental component, which is paying, payments which I've always hated. I hate cash. I hate having to deal with change. I hate the rush when the cab stops and I have to fiddle for my wallet to get out while people are honking their horns. Those are empathetic considerations. I also hate when I call a cab and I never know if they're coming. So Uber fundamentally changed that. And all of a sudden, it's no longer a pain. It's a magical experience. I click a button, a car shows up, I have a great conversation, and I get out. Square has taken it even further. I walk into my favorite store, now my phone in my pocket, I don't even have to think, I can talk to my, the local owner, and I can pay without ever actually exchanging or talking about money. It, it's changed how we interact with the real world, but it's also solved a fundamental problem. So, that's our first challenge. Now, once we can solve that fundamental problem, we have a very significant second challenge, which is we have users and our users don't care about us. It's one of the most one-sided relationships you'll ever see. They're inundated. They have so many other options and so many other things vying for their attention 
that we need to be the best. If we can't be the best, and if we can't convey the value that we're going to provide within the first minute, they're gone. So there is a big, big, big responsibility on us. Now, that's all bad news. It's not necessarily fun. But let's not forget, it's freaking cool, the stuff that we're building and what we're working on. We're moving into a new medium, a new frontier of what we can do. And that means we have new interactions, whether that be voice, whether that be gesture, whether that be haptics, um, touch, other things. Who knows what it's going to look like, but we're building it, and that's exciting. Now, we have a bit of a window where we haven't gone mainstream with that yet. But as we start to push this out, it's up to us as the designers and builders to make sure the people who will be using our products understand what the heck we're trying to do with it. Otherwise, we might really screw over um, the future for what we're trying to do. Let's not forget, again, being empathetic, my mom is still running an iPhone 4 on iOS 5. The last thing she's thinking about is how the product featured here is a, a Canadian startup called uh, Mayo, which is on your armband at a Waterloo. I think there's some other Waterloo people here. Um, that's fundamental. That's changing everything. But my mom could care less. She will not be buying this anytime soon. But it very well might happen. So we've got a nice window right now, but let's not forget. So I've lost a lot of battles to users. I've built a lot of things, and I've seen a lot of rejection. And one thing that I stumbled upon a couple of years back that has really changed the way I look at product design uh, is probably one of the ugliest words and terminology that I've ever seen is gamification. Now, forget how ugly and poorly designed the word is. The principles behind it can actually be really, really, really powerful. And uh, I'd like to walk you through some of that and hopefully show how we can be applying those to the next frontier of technology uh, to help our ideas be grasped and have our products be used the way we want it. So gamification, for those who don't know, is looking at the research and the psychology development that's been going on in games for years, distilling them down and picking up the components that we think could be really useful in a non-game setting. So, for example, Twitter with their follower account. I wanted to, That was publicly shown because now everyone knows how many followers I have. I want more followers. That's fundamentally gaming a leaderboard. LinkedIn has a famous progress bar. Those are little things that just make you engage with the product in a new way. There are four parts to gamification that I think are fundamental and translate really well to any product design. That is the onboarding and first user experience, feedback loops to uh, encourage the behavior you want, information display, and finally, games make people feel great. They're an escape from reality, and they're a chance for you to be the best at something. It's a measured context where you can do and know what to do next. So those four things, if you can distill them and put them into your product in some way, you're, you're going to see better adoption. So let's start first with the onboarding. No one wants to see a manual anymore. Now what it's about, and I, I hope that's obvious in this room, but what it's about now is what do I need to know when I need to know it? So do you have a very cool voice recognition feature? Well, don't show it to me until it's actually going to be available to me. One of the most annoying uses of this is in Google Maps. If you shake your phone, it pops up, do you want to send feedback while you're using it? If you're driving on a bumpy road, it just keeps popping up, do you want to send feedback? So that's an example of a feature that misaligned, but the same idea of when I do an action, send me the information I need to know in order to perform it. The next is data. I think everyone here recognizes how powerful and incredible data is. Again, let's think back to our user on the street out there. They could care less. 
They don't care how many fields exist in my Facebook profile to match me against other friends. What they care is, what am I doing now? How can I surface any sort of value out of that now? And then as we move away from apps and software and into new mediums, how do we make that relevant? I love the Nike Fuel Band, the Fitbit, Jawbone, you name it. It's a medium on my wrist, gamification, I want to get to green. But it only shows that's all I need to know. I don't have time to think or do anything else when I glance at my wrist. But then, when I'm on my phone with a little bit more time, and this goes into the next form of how do I feed, create feedback loops and reinforce behavior, I feel great looking at that. I want that to hit green. And once I layer in a social element, I'm going to keep wanting to hit that. And again, let's not forget, we've got this great toolbox. We've got the Facebook SDK. We've got a ton of tools that just let us do those features without ever having to think about it. So we can focus on what really matters is how do we apply that. The next, the next way I love thinking about it, again, from a first-time user experience, is have you ever been the first to a cocktail party? Or have you ever walked into a room and been the only one? Me, personally, it's very uncomfortable. I have no idea what to do. I think that the next, I, I just feel weird. And I always like to use that frame of mind for my product. The first time someone shows up at my product, I don't want them to feel like they're that one person at the bar. I want them to feel like they're part of something bigger, they're part of a party, they're part of an interaction of some sort, and they know what to do. Instill confidence in that user. Don't make them guess or second guess, because if they're embarrassed, they'll never tell you. They'll just never come back to your product. So the next step that I found to be really fun is the Trojan horse. How do we, how do we get this new technology into the homes? How do we start teaching users about these ideas of different ways to interact with objects, but not scare them? Um, Sphero is a great example of this. It's a toy. It's a ball. I understand ball. But as I play with it more, I understand that it can do augmented reality. I can slowly adapt and teach my user about these really cool features. Another company doing this really well is Nest. They took two fundamental products that probably everyone in this room have, thermostat, smoke detector. So that's not scary. I understand I need that. I have to be willing to pay a heck of a lot more for it. But once I do that, I then start to get motion control. Oh, I'm walking in front of it. I don't have to actually touch it. It starts to get smart. And that's really special because now Nest is helping all of us in this room teach users that you don't have to actually touch a product for it to be smart or interacting with you. And it starts to learn behaviors and learns patterns. You can see this with the different car companies now. Ford famously said they, they, they could build the self-driving car, but they won't because users are scared. So year after year, you see little components being brought out. You see the self-parking. You see, and I think in Europe, there's a ton more cool stuff going on there. But again, what we need to do is teach our users these behaviors. So consider the empathy. Consider what you're teaching them. And remember, if you're not building a, no matter how big your company is, no matter how much money you have, if you build a product that no one wants or no one cares about or doesn't solve a problem, it's either art or it just sucks. Um, thank you for the time. <laughs>